Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, October 28, 2019, and today we are continuing our study on Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism, and we will be joined by Jason Sampler, our Georgia State Director, as he leads us through Chapter 4 of the Master Plan for Evangelism. Well, good Monday morning, and welcome to the Defender Podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm the Georgia State Director for Lifeline Children's Services. We're so glad that you've joined us for our weekly uh, Bible study and teaching time. We are continuing to work our way through Robert Coleman's The Master Plan of Evangelism. So this week we are in chapter four, which he entitles Impartation. And the scripture that he uses to uh, begin this chapter comes from John 20, verse 22, when Jesus uh, invites his followers to receive the Holy Spirit. So if you have a general idea of what impartation is, but don't have a specific definition, uh, the dictionary defines impartation as, a, a, as an action verb to make known, to tell or to disclose, to give or to communicate, or to grant a part or a share of. And so we're going to talk today about how Jesus has imparted both himself and the Spirit's impartation in the lives of believers that we might have uh, uh, the strength and the passion and the love to be evangelists. And so uh, Coleman talks about, uh, from the very beginning of chapter 4, about uh, uh, God demonstrating his love by giving away Jesus that uh, that the gift of Jesus to us was an active demonstration of of Jesus or God's love for us and then when we examine Jesus's life we see that Jesus was a a man who gave he gave what the father had given to him according to John 15 he gave them uh, his followers he gave them peace he gave them joy He gave them keys to the kingdom. He gave to them his glory. Ultimately, we we love and worship Jesus because he gave his own life for us. And Coleman uh, talks about love being at its core uh, an act of giving. Uh, He says on page 62, love is always giving itself away. When it is self-contained, it is not love. So despite what we might say uh, our actions should uh, Im- imply about what we feel, we can, we can testify all day that we love somebody, but if we're not giving ourselves to that person, they are empty words. I've had the joy of being married for over 12 years to my wife, and I tell her daily how thankful I am for her, how much I love her, but those would be hollow words if I didn't um, if I didn't act in ways that demonstrated that I want to sacrifice for her. So if I came home from work every day and sat down on the couch and uh, watched TV and I didn't help with dinner or I didn't fold laundry or I didn't help get kids to bed or 
uh, where I didn't show her how special she was, or I didn't sacrifice and uh, maybe uh, take a, a, a diaper duty at 3 a.m. and let her have some sleep, um, then, then saying that I love her would be of no value because I've not demonstrated my love to her. I've not, I've not, I've not given of myself. And so uh, as much as I would say I love you, my actions uh, are saying otherwise. Giving has to be active. It's more than just speaking words. And so uh, my wife and I, we have uh, six kids. And uh, it so happens that three of our sons all have birthdays in the month of October. So we lump them together and we have one big birthday party for all three. And we invite a bunch of kids over and they uh, they bring presents and we have a great time. And and for the most part, I'm a pretty frugal person. Um, if, if I can save money uh, or if I don't have to spend money uh, or if it's free, I'm really excited. Uh, but but when it comes to my kids' birthdays, uh, I go uh, um, not overboard, but I'm just much more generous. I I want them to see how special we think they are and how much we love them, and we don't buy them the most extravagant gifts. But uh, but 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 I love buying gifts for my kids, and it demonstrates the love that I have for them. It's an active love, and. The Bible tells us and Coleman reminds us that it was it was the love that Jesus had, not just a vocal love, but an active love that compelled him to the cross. He finishes up page 62 by saying, just as man by his sin had to die, so God by his love had to send his son to die in our place. And then he quotes from John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so we know that, that, that Jesus' plan to evangelize or tell the good news to his followers and then, and then replicating that plan into his followers, telling the good news of Jesus' story to others, hinged on this idea that Jesus is a giving God, a loving God, and he loves through his gifts, penultimately the gift of his own life. And then, and then we see that passion that Jesus has to give, and we then are compelled to have that same passion. In Jesus's giving of himself, he reveals his passion. Uh, there is uh, there is a biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation, this overarching story. If you step back and just look at the grand narrative of the Bible, is a picture of a good God who created a good world, and that world rebelled against him. And then the rest of the scripture is God pursuing that rebellious world for the purpose of saving a people for himself. And this is a wonderful story, but in some sense, uh, the, uh, the story of the Old Testament is that those that trusted in their Jewishness, their, their heritage by blood, believed that that was sufficient to make them in right relationship with their creator, but this is wrong. We see in Jesus's parables and in his teachings that God from 
from all eternity has been pursuing a people to call his own. And that people is, is a larger group than just those that are Jewish. We remember the story of the Good Samaritan. and The hero of the story is not Jewish. We remember that Jesus in the Gospels heals um, uh, uh, the servant of a centurion. And so he would not have been Jewish either. There are there's stories of, of uh, when, when Jesus speaks to a Gentile woman and, and, and she begs for um, healing and he says, uh, you know, you're not a Jew, uh, you're a dog. And she says, well, even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the table of their master. And so Jesus uh, promises her healing and forgiveness. And, and, and there, are, there are glimpses in, in the Gospels of this kingdom that is going to be much larger than just the nation of Israel. And so Jesus's passion to spread the good news of God's coming kingdom extends both to Jew and to Gentile. And Jesus calls his followers not just to a life of telling people about him, but to a life of service. And often the way that we're able to share the good news is through our acts of service. We know uh, at the incarnation, Jesus is emptying of himself. Jesus leaving the glory of heaven to condescend into earth and then to take on flesh was an act of service to others. Sometimes I wonder if we look at Jesus's uh, giving of himself, his incarnation, and then we say, well, I could never do obviously anything like that. So my service couldn't be nearly as good. My sacrifice, my love, my acts of generosity could never be as much as Jesus's. And certainly that's true. But I would, I would contend that there's no act of service that would be too small that, oh, that, that could not demonstrate the love that we have for other people, that, that the love that we have is a giving love. And so as we survey our surroundings and we interact with our neighbors and we disciple our children and we share the gospel with women in unexpected pregnancies, and we serve families. There's no act of service that is too small that, that can't show uh, uh, God's love and working through us. And so Coleman continues through this chapter talking about Jesus's commitment to the task. Jesus's commitment to the task. Jesus is constantly praying. He's constantly in communication with the Father and and sometimes those are long periods like of prayer, an entire night where Jesus stays up praying all night and foregoes sleep, or at least some concentrated periods of he'll go away for an hour or two or three hours just to pray. And then certainly there are examples in the Gospels where Jesus gives what we would call traditional prayers, short uh, seven to ten sentence prayers. But Jesus is constantly communing and praying with a father that demonstrates uh, his, his interaction with the father and his commitment to the task. We see and remember in the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17 that Jesus connects 
his sanctification with our sanctification. But the context of John 17 is not how we normally consider sanctification, right? Uh, in systematic theological terms, sanctification uh, means progressing in Christ-likeness or progressing in holiness, being more like Jesus, which is certainly a, a correct definition of sanctification. But in John 17, the context is, is death and the cross that lays ahead of Jesus. And Jesus is, is looking towards his own sacrifice, his self-sacrifice. And he says that, that he, uh, his sanctification will be, will be passed on to his followers. And I think what he's talking about is that in his death and in his commitment to the cross, that sanctification, that pressing towards the purpose will be passed to his followers that we might not only be set apart for service to God, but that we might also be committed to the same task of laying down our own lives, of, of picking up our cross. And I remember growing up as a kid, I, I always wrongly presumed that that when someone said, you know, well, I, I carry my cross daily, what they mean is uh, I've foregone chasing after riches. And so I, I'm just in the middle class or even uh, lower middle class because I'm not, I'm not chasing after money. Or, you know, my cross is that, um, uh, you know, that I, I wanted to be famous, but, uh, but I, I think that's vain. And so I'm just going to, uh, you know, pursue obscurity. But Jesus' language of the cross and the historical context of the cross make it very clear that he's talking about death. And so as Jesus pursues a physical death, the New Testament writers call us to follow, uh, not physically but metaphorically, by crucifying our own selves, by crucifying our desires and our nature to be selfish and to be autonomous and so Jesus, through prayer, is committed to the task that the Father has given him. And according to John 17, uh, Jesus' sanctification that comes from the cross is then passed to us that we might be uh, committed to the task of evangelizing. And uh, Coleman goes on to begin to talk about not only the, the, the impartation of the Son, which he's talked about in the first half of the chapter, the second half of the chapter is talking about the impartation of the Spirit. And, uh, and I was thinking about this, and Halloween is coming up, and, and different people read different translations, but growing up, uh, I always was confused about the Holy Spirit because oftentimes he was referred to as the Holy Ghost. And uh, when I think about ghosts, I think about Halloween uh, and scary ghosts, or I think about a cartoon that I watched growing up, which was Casper the Friendly Ghost. And so I couldn't decide, was the Holy Spirit uh, uh, like, a, like a mean spirit as someone who would uh, try to spook you uh, or scare you, or was he this friendly little uh, man underneath a sheet? Um, and it was uh, very confusing to me using that language of ghost, but different translations use the, the term spirit, which I think is more accurate. And if we look with fresh eyes at John 14, 15, and 16, we will catch a glimpse as to what Jesus has to teach us 
uh, concerning the Holy Spirit. There is a, a, a cacophony of terms that Jesus uses that help give us an idea of who this third person of the triune God is. The, the term that he uses, the Greek term is paraclete. And sometimes we want to translate that term and we translate it uh, uh, you know, as helper or counselor or teacher, but it's it's kind of um, like a like a personal noun, like that's the name, Paraclete, uh, and so Jesus says that 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 he's sending another Paraclete or another helper or another teacher, which means he was the first Paraclete, and then when he departs through his ascension back to heaven, he will send another paraclete. Jesus uses other terms in John 14, 15, and 16 to describe the Holy Spirit. Uh, phrases like spirit of truth, or he says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness. Um, he says that the Spirit's uh, a, a role or duty is to convict believers of sin and righteousness, uh, of judgment, and to guide them into all truth. And I grew up in a, in a Protestant faith tradition that didn't give much emphasis or teaching on the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't know exactly why I, I have some suspicions. And I think one of them is because uh, they saw the worship of the Spirit being abused. Um, and uh, I think also the Spirit is just uh, not talked about as much in the Scriptures. But the book of Acts is really a story of of how the Spirit is moving in the lives of believers to bring about God's kingdom. And so if Jesus comes to inaugurate the kingdom, another paraclete is coming to continue the kingdom. And so it is this Holy Spirit who empowers evangelism. I want you, uh, if you happen to have a Bible, uh, look with me in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is beginning his ministry, his public ministry, in Luke's gospel in, in chapter 4. And he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Um, it says that, that he, he uh, beginning in verse 16, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and Jesus unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And then he begins to quote from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke says, Then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And so Jesus begins his public ministry in Luke's narrative by quoting uh, the prophet Isaiah. And it is a testament that Jesus' ministry does not come by his own power. 
It does not come through his own divinity. So the incarnation teaches that the divine pre-existent second person of the Trinity left the heavens, uh, condescended down to earth, took on flesh, kept his, his sinless nature, but became a man. And Jesus's ministry, uh, well, his entire life, from, from his conception to his death, he remained sinless. But I'm, I'm convinced, and, and theologians are right uh, uh, often, that his sinlessness was not because uh, of, his, of his divinity, but because of his obedience to the Father with the help of the Holy Spirit. His ministry, his miracles, his, his, his healings and his walking on water, uh, and, and even his resurrection— don't come from his own power and authority. They come from the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, he speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus heals, he heals by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he does so through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think very much that Jesus has said, that the spirit that, that led and, and oversaw his ministry on earth is the same spirit that empowers our ministry. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to walk on water. That doesn't mean that Jesus is promising that we're going to be able to heal uh, 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 the, the, the lack of vision from folks that are blind or to be able to restore hearing from those that are deaf. But there is the same spirit that gave his ministry power, able to empower our ministry. And a component of that is evangelism. And evangelism is a ministry of the Spirit, not of the self. The, the Spirit has been testifying to the goodness of the Father long before you or I ever came into existence. And the Spirit, unless Jesus comes back soon, will continue to testify of the Father's kingdom long after you and I are gone. And so there's there's no need to fear when we are evangelizing that we're going to mess up God's kingdom. His kingdom has been growing, not because of you or I, but because of the Spirit who works inside of us. In fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus picked some of the most common men of his day, and those were the ones uh, not the theologically trained or not the business leaders, but the common men and women uh, were his messengers. Um, Coleman says on page 69, the fact that these men were of the common lot of mankind was no hindrance at all. It only serves to remind us of the mighty power of the Spirit of God accomplishing his purpose in disciples fully yielded to his control. After all, the power is in the spirit of Christ. It is not who we are, but who he is that makes the difference. God has been revealing himself through the spirit since, uh, since creation. And so, uh, so if, you, if you know about church history or you enjoy reading church history, you'll know that the early church exploded uh, rapidly uh, not because of social media, but because of passion. And the passion flowed from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you've got this small sect 
of people that believe in a resurrected Jesus living in Jerusalem right after the ascension. 120 people. And, and, and for some reason, over the course of about the next 350 years, Christianity transforms from a very small band of believers to a recognized and then the official religion of the Roman Empire. And how does that happen? Going from this small group of people concentrated in Jerusalem, it's because the Spirit empowered believers to share the good news of Jesus with their with their, their neighbors, with their family, with their co-workers, in every arena of their life. The power of the, of, the, of the Spirit plus the truth of the resurrection that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the grave. The power of the Spirit and the, and the power of the resurrection produced church expansion. And so as we, as we close, let me encourage you that there should be no fear inside of you that keeps you from telling people about Jesus. God has, God has imparted the Son to, to teach us about who He is, and God has imparted the Spirit to empower us in evangelism. And so now, our task is simply like the early believers, to be obedient and to be uh, 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 empowered and to trust that the Spirit will, uh, will speak through us as we share the good news. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Guatemala, and we are specifically praying for our partners in Guatemala, Village of Hope. Village of Hope runs a ministry for special needs and HIV children in Guatemala. And so Todd and Amy Block at Village of Hope, we pray that they will have wisdom as Lifeline continues to partner with them through unadopted and caregiver education training. And the next training that will take place will actually happen in February of 2020. We pray for them specifically that they'll have endurance and an ever-renewing sense of purpose, courage, and energy while they manage the home. And we pray for them for, as a family, as a whole. The Blocks, who have several kids that came in their home through adoption, will be cared for and loved. We pray for the staff at Village of Hope, the caregivers, the guards, the cooks, the teachers, and the psychologists. And we also pray for the Blocks' daughter, Addison, who, whose husband just recently brought home uh, their new baby boy, uh, Atlas Judge, as well as bringing in five terminal babies into their home to care for them. We just praise the Lord for the work that's being done by Village of Hope and for the work that they're doing. We also pray that the gospel will go forward brightly in the midst of such a, a religious but not Christ-centered culture and that the true gospel and the nature of Christ would permeate the people and the, the work of Guatemala. We pray for the children in Guatemala. Many children reside in orphanages, and we pray that they would grow up in with family, not in places without a family. We also pray for caretakers in these homes and orphanages around the country. We pray for the energy and the endurance that they need. We pray for the government of Guatemala to be open to permanence for these children who are languishing in these homes and institutions. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for the situation uh, of Village of Hope and the work that they are doing in Guatemala. We pray for Todd and Amy and the whole Block family, that they would be strengthened and rooted in your love, that you would give them endurance and patience, and that you would use them for with your gospel and your goodness to make a difference for the children of Guatemala. We thank you for Addison and Ronald and the work that they are doing with these five terminal babies, as well as just pray that you would just give them wisdom and give them endurance and give them uh, just a, a foresight for the future as they raise their little boy, Atlas. And Lord, we just also pray for the whole country. Lord, we know that Guatemala is very religious, but many times not centered on the gospel of Christ. We pray that the gospel would permeate everything in Guatemala and that this gospel of the kingdom would be preached uh, throughout every highway and byway throughout the country. And Lord, we just also pray for the children that are growing up in Guatemala. We just ask that you would uh, just give them godly caregivers, that you give them an opportunity to see the gospel, but you also give them opportunity for family. We, Lord, we just also pray for the government there in Guatemala, that you would give them foresight to be able to open up systems, uh, including inter-country adoption, that would provide permanence for the children that are there in Guatemala. Lord, we know that you love this country, and Lord, we just ask uh, that you would work and that you would use us to partner with you to work on behalf of the orphan and the vulnerable children for the sake of your name and your gospel in Guatemala. It's in your great name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.